Welcome to the Multitask. This is John Moore. It's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So uh, we had a very sad week again. Uh, we had another mass shooting this time in Colorado. Uh, a, a guy shot up a uh, a, gro- a grocery store, and mm-hmm. I, I think the one thing that I've heard from the folks in Colorado is that it, the thing that really was upsetting is it was a grocery store that is a very popular chain in Colorado. So just visiting that store anywhere in the state has been kind of triggering. Uh, what was your reaction to that shooting? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we had this last week we recorded a podcast about the shooting in, in, in Georgia. And I remember just having a conversation and I texted you about this during the week, but you said, we'll see the media coverage the next time this happens. And it turned out to be four days later that it happened. So um, at first, what was very confusing was the first day it confirmed or they said it was a white guy. And then everybody kind of ran with that narrative. And then the name was released and it turned out to be um, an Arab person that was just white passing, which we talked about a little bit because a lot of us tend to be white passing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, look, this country, even though this guy wasn't born here, he was spent the majority of his life here. This country is obsessed with guns. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm not an anti-Second Amendment person, but I'm also a person who doesn't believe that a normal person or a normal citizen should have an AR-15. There is people right. on the right and there's people, sorry, there's people in the military who will say the AR-15 is purely designed to maim, maim human beings and, and, and maim things. So just, there's just no reason that we should have that in the general public. Right. Well, you know, one thing that you said is the fact that he was white passing, let's be honest. I don't ever plan on being a criminal or in a mass shooting, but to, to, when I'm, if I'm ever in, in a situation and I'm let out in cuffs, most people, except for people who know me, are going to be like, the white guy did it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be me, and I'll find out I'm not white. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that being said, um, you know, I, I will tell you there's a few things. I do think that that trend that I saw in Georgia held, so I'm glad because, you know, this was a different dynamic. I do think, though, that for any number of reasons, the first 24 or 36 looked, first 24 to 36 hours looked a little different. But I also think that too is because, again, it might have not have had as much to do with the shooter. It might have had more to do with the accessibility and the commonality of the yeah. victim survivors, where they had family members who were willing to do the live TV interviews and everything else. I don't really know if those people were real. I don't know if the, the relatives in, in Georgia were the same type of accessibility. Although, I mean, I saw that some of the kids and everything spoke to folks. So I, I don't know if, we're, if we've moved yet because I do think that the morning after, next morning after was a little bit more compassionate um, than we saw in Georgia. And not that Georgia was uncompassionate, Georgia was not. But, you know, we, we got the, you know, you saw the, the parent or whatever and they talked about how great this person was and their nicknames and everything else. And that's great. But I, I didn't see that in Georgia, but that may have been basically because of the status and, you know, it might have been just how the victim's families present themselves. Did you notice that at all? Well, from here, here's, I'll tell you what, why that was, is because a lot of the victims and the victim's families in Georgia were Korea, or were Asian and, and Korean and, and they were, they were, English wasn't their first language and a lot of them, um, you notice even the media who was covering the story had a hard time getting information because they were relying on Korean newspapers and, and Asian newspapers because they couldn't talk to the, the family and the victims directly because of the language barrier. So I, I have a feeling it was just a lot of that was 
Colorado was more uh, people that could communicate and communicate properly. And, and maybe the people in Georgia just, there was a language barrier there. So I, I bet you that was probably a big factor in it. Right. Um, you know, one of the other things though, too, going back to that is I've always wanted to, now that we have a platform, I don't know how we would do it, but I've always wanted to, with the day-to-day shootings that happen in Chicago and other inner cities, um, especially the ones where there might be multiple victims, I've always wanted to see what would happen if we tried to humanize the victims the same way that the victims after a mass shooting in a place where people aren't supposed to get shot, as if there are places where people are supposed to get shot. But I wonder what would be what it would be like if, let's just say, the next time there's a, a multi-fatal shooting in the Chicago where the people are not necessarily uh, looking like the rest of the population, like, well, like white folks, if, if they're not white folks, right? right. And they're maybe you know, lower income people in the, in the city, maybe gang adjacent. I wonder what would happen if we had that humanizing first 24 hours where we, we heard about them growing up, we saw pictures of them as kids and everything else. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to, and not not in a joking or mocking way, but I do think that too often, um, the other thing about the mass shootings is those mass shootings people, they really get humanized. Yeah. And and it seems like the day-to-day shooting victims don't get humanized. Yeah, I think part of that is is we're obsessed with the shooter and not with the victims, and that's ironic. That's unfortunate. Um, after, do you remember the Virginia Tech shooting? There was a big push to say we have to stop releasing these shooters' names. We have to stop stop showing their pictures. They want that glory and they want that fame. And and, and I wonder if you're not wrong. If we could. I, actually, now that you bring it up, like I saw a lot of articles on Col- about the Colorado shooting that was like, here were the victims' names, here are the pictures, here is their story. And I just wonder if we could lean into that. Um, I didn't read a, a lot about the shooter, to be honest. There was just a little information that came out right away, but I wonder if that's because I think the media lost interest in it once it, it, was, a, it was a Muslim, or I don't think he was, I don't know if he was Muslim, he was uh, Arab American. So um, I will say something about your white passing thing. Um, People were saying that guy is 21 years old and, and he's almost going bald. I was like, well, that's a trait that runs in, in Arab American males that take you, give it to you firsthand. So <laughs> I knew right away once I saw his hair, I was like, that guy's not white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, that's a very interesting piece that, that you had there. But, <laughs> you know, one of the things on that, that was that was really interesting about it was. I do think that there was at first 24 hours, it's another white man shooting up and then people backtrack. Um, But I also think that's also one of the things that people have to realize is, have you ever seen that Chris Rock skit? uh, And if not, I'll have to find it for you, send it to you, where he used to talk about back in the day, there'd be a crime on TV. And before they showed the footage, he and his family would be gathered together. They'd be like, please don't be black. Please don't be black. like They would react. You know, if the person wasn't black, they would cheer. If it was black, um, is it that? And, and and I think, in some cases, I'm one of those people. I, I'll spread it to all people of color. I am oftentimes saying, I I'm not really rooting for it to be a white person, but but I do know that if it's a white person, then that white person and only that white person is accountable yes. for their actions. Whereas if it is a person of color, a person who is of color but doesn't look that way, but might have an exotic name or pray to a different, uh, you know, be part of a different religion, 
I do think that that's kind of a problem. I mean, realistically, this sounds like a guy who was not all there mentally. You know, his brother talked about his parent and everything else. And look, let's never defend a criminal, but damn it, let's also not put pressure on that criminal to be representative of people of that particular race or religion, ethnicity, gender, station in life, right? And let's, I, I wish that we could do a better job of, of letting that person, because with white folks, that person is an individual only responsible for themselves. We need to start doing that with people who are not white men. Yeah, I, I brought this up last week when I said that uh, I want people to start calling this a Christian massacre because that's what they do with all the, the Muslim people who commit crimes and stuff like that. When a black person commits crime, it's universally. When a Latino person commits a crime, it's universal. When there's a, a terrorist bombing, it's always like the Islamic faith is the problem. And when it becomes a white man, it just becomes this lone wolf kind of theory like you were talking about. Um, even if this guy was paranoid and wasn't all there fully, the problem to me isn't that. The problem to me is that he was able to register for a gun, walk out with it, and go kill people. Like, that's the ultimate problem is we let a guy like this, if you're saying, hey, the gun's not the problem, he was mentally unfit, he was paranoid, he was schizophrenic, wherever he was, I would ask them, well, why would you let a guy like that easily get a gun that fast? So initially, my thought is just, the problem isn't that he's um, mentally unstable. The problem is that we allowed someone like that to get a big gun like that and, and right away. Right. And, you know, I the first thing that the people on the right will always say, well, there's no laws that would have stopped this. I think a background check, I think yeah. a waiting period. I think the fact, I think if there had been a law that I think his parents and his family knew he was really having some struggles and challenges where they could have said, look, please don't give our son slash brother a gun. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always thought about and it's some like important messaging is, you know how they'll say, okay, even when you introduce law A or law B, gun law A or gun law B, they say, well, it only stop, you know, 1% or 2% of shootings. Well, that one or 2% could be one of our friends or family members, or someone we care about. It could be ourselves, right? And, and, and it could be a bunch reality, of kids, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and when you think about the number of people who die at the hands of guns each year in America, in the United States, um, even if you had a one or 2% reduction, that's hundreds of lives. Yeah. And like I say that, and not only is it hundreds of lives, but it is someone's friend or family member. It's someone that is important. And, you know, I, you know, the question is, is, you know, who has to die for someone to really care? Yeah. There's a, there's always that viral tweet after Sandy Hook that said, I don't know if, I think, you know what I'm talking about where they said, Sandy Hook was our last opportunity to get gun reform because as soon as we allowed the, the killing of kids to happen and nothing happened, then it was over. So I was thinking about that today. Like, who does actually have to die for something to change? Um, but really, I think it's part of it is the culture of guns in this country, right? Like, why are these eight-year-old kids going hunting? And why are these um, 10-year-old kids allowed? Like, I, I grew up in the 90s where hip-hop was vilified for gang culture and the violence and the misogyny in the in the in the content of the raps and part of that is true right but not to the not to be vilified for it but also when are we going to start look i'm never going to be the guy that says grant the photo call of duty all these games are responsible for this but there's just a fascination with guns in this country that comes up from a young age and i think that's something that we should look at now i'm not blaming guns and i'm not blaming any of that i, I do believe that strict gun rules will help look I question, if this guy walked into a DMV, would he get a driver's license? 
it wouldn't be that same day and it wouldn't be without proper paperwork and some sort of background check. So if we could just have that with guns and we're going to stop a, a lot of things from happening. So that's, I think, step one right now. Right. It's, 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 it's tragic. It's tragic. I'm going to change the subject and talk to a border, but now you put in there Kamala handling the border, but I don't want to go there first. I want to go there more about, did you see the game of dress up that the Republican senators played yesterday when they went down to the border? They're all, they all tried. Did you, did you see them? Did you I see saw them the, the I knew it was a thing. Cause I just saw the memes right away. So I saw Ted Cruz on a safari or whatever it was. And there we go. They're at the border and everything. And look, it's, it's, we talked about it last year, right? It's political theater for them. Right. I mean, they literally were playing dress up. Yeah. They were literally playing dress up. One of my favorite though, was not the dress up. It was, did you hear about uh, Steve Daines? He's the, the, the Republican Senator from Montana. Did you hear? He's the guy that stood up and talked about how, um, the Mexican meth is worse. Oh yes, back in Montana. Yeah, and I, <laughs> the thing that was funny about it, and I just immediately, of course, since I work with you know elected officials, I think about lobbyists. But it does, and you know, sometimes lobbyists are known to write speeches for 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 elected officials. And I was like, that was like a speech, like if there was a a lobbyist for for Montana meth, right? wrote that speech because he literally was bemoaning yeah. how the Mexican stuff is invading and they, and they, and they don't get their homegrown. <laughs> I mean, is our, is Montana known for meth? I just don't know. I'm not part of that. Well, game. don't forget meth is a synthetic drug, right? So yeah. everybody's, you know, and, and I'm sure everyone's got their own blend. Like, Hey, whenever you're in Indianapolis, try this. I want to know what, what blend of meth, Illinois is known for and you know is, is there a is there a difference between a Chicago meth versus a uh say in a, a Rockford meth and different neighborhoods like you know is there a Hyde Park meth versus a you know Jefferson Park meth I mean what you know what 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 is it that just cracked me up but seriously the the Mexico issue which we talked about last week it's still it's going to be around for a long time um What's your take on the district? You know, they obviously Biden appointed Kamala to to head, uh, you know, the basically that portfolio on on the border. What what is your take on it? Yeah, I mean, and 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 we'll talk about it shortly with the with the presser and everything. But I think that they're pushing they're pushing back on calling this a crisis, and they're saying that this surge happens, and they're saying that this was going to happen whoever was the president. I'm not sure if that's true. I read a lot of numbers. It looks like it's about the same as it would be. And the surge kind of started under the end of Trump there. But um, look, again, we talked about it last week. I don't know what the long-term solution is, but they're, what I thought they're doing is humanizing the problem and saying, this is a 12-year-old kid that's coming here starving. It's a desperation for his mother to say, that's what Bill Biden was saying. It's a desperation for his mother to send it. We can't meet that with a strict, just go away policy. So Biden's like, I'm not going to turn them away. I'm just not going to do it. And Republicans are saying that's an invite. And I just don't think it is. I'm just saying there's a problem there. They're trying to be as human as possible about it. There's going to be cracks in that no matter what. And there's going to be people who fall through the cracks, unfortunately. Um, But I believe that the Democrats are trying to fix the problem or trying to solve the problem. And I think the Republicans are just using it as political fodder. 
Well, did did you see the article? I read some article too that during the transition, the people in on Biden's transition team who dealt with immigration issues or were going to be dealing with immigrant immigration issues in in the Biden administration had been noticing that there was some type of um, readiness or kind of um, priority that the Trump administration was not placing on certain immigrant groups as relates to the border and that it kind of got neglected, I think, through December and January. Did you read anything on that? I didn't. I just know that they kind of mentioned that the the, the delay in the transition kind of delayed their start on working on the problem, yeah. Right. But but it was only like the delay in the transition. It was also something about how the particular existing agency or, you know, folks who dealt with that, you know, something to do with the border that they were also slow walking. So it wasn't just transition slow. It was the fact that those people were slow walking. That being said, that being said, I think, you know, it's it's tough, you know, and again, as I said last week, um, I'm going to really not take much issue really with where the immigration activists are at this point, because the one thing that they are is they're, they, you know, have the same fight, regardless of who's in charge, they're going to fight that good fight. Um, and, you know, I, as I said, I, I sometimes kind of recoil and everything else, but I also respect, respect their consistency. But, um, It'll be fascinating now that Kamala's going to be handling it. Uh, hopefully, she will do better with this than Pence did with COVID, right? Um, but the reality, though, too, is I'd say that they must have confidence that they're going to be successful because, quite frankly, I don't think she's just merely a figurehead. But you and I both know there's probably a sub, there's probably a senior cabinet or sub cabinet level person who has. Port, and I'm going to talk generically now, has a portfolio for this, for the economy, for this. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's probably not a parallel staffer that is like the almost like the chief of staff for Kamala on this particular yeah. uh, issue. And obviously Kamala will take the heat if it doesn't work, but I also think that they must feel confident that they can do it because I can't imagine that they would put her in a position where she's going to look bad. I would assume that they've got some type of handle on it they know things are going to turn around. What do you think the are? What is what is the goal though? Is the goal to lower the? I think what they were saying was the goal is ultimately to get people not to want to come here or at the rate that they're coming now. Do you think that's the goal, or is the goal to have enough space for them to have an expedited process to come in the country? Like I'm sure it's a combination of all that. You know what I mean? But. Um, if Kamala, he was saying Kamala was going to be in these different countries trying to fix problems so these families don't have to leave. So I just wonder if if they get a lot of work done there and then maybe it just helps at the border. I just wonder what their ultimate goal is. Is it to lower the numbers? Is it to stop them from coming? It's just so, it's so great that it's hard to tell what they're going to go after. I think it's going to be multifaceted, right? I think that there'll be, and I wouldn't even be surprised if she's also going to be, you know, championing the legislation. Right. Um, But don't forget, so you essentially have Homeland Security's involved. Mm -hmm. You have HHS involved. And realistically, what will be fascinating is, will there be a success in silo A, but a failure in silo B? And if the success in silo A is so strong, does it it carry the the other silo that's not doing as well? But um, 
you know, I, the, at the end of the day, we just have to remember these are human beings that are coming here. And uh, I think that I hope that uh, it's one of those situations where, one, let's turn it around, but two, there could be just some level of humanity that wasn't there. And, you know, I think the thing that's tough is you don't want to, one time I remember I got like a D plus and I, I came home and I bragged out like that. I, I got a D plus. I didn't do, I didn't fail. And my dad's like, you're the smartest of the dummies. Right. Um, so the question would be is I do think that America has done such a horrible job in the immigration space that, um, especially under the last administration, is it one of those things where there's vast improvement and we should, the inclination would be to celebrate that improvement, but realistically, the immigration community, it would still be kind of outraged because you really need to be here. Now they're here, they went to here, but they're not here yet. I mean, what, what you know, I, I really, does that go into the nuanced conversation we talked about, yeah. right? Is, is is treating people humanely enough, right? Yeah, I bet you Biden talked about a lot of getting back to how it ended under Obama. And I wonder if they're trying to get it there first. Like, let's just get it to the point where it's functional and we know what we're doing and, and we're going to get it back to 2015 under our last administration. And then I wonder if that's just enough of the goal where they could um, they could champion it a little bit and then worry about legislation and deeper problems. But I bet you right now is to stop leading, metaphorically speaking, and then just to see where it goes from there, I guess. So that brings us to, because it came up a lot during the press conference, but uh, immigration came up a lot during the press conference. The press conference, Trump, Biden's much away to press conference. First and foremost, uh, I thought he did an amazing job uh, overall. What was what was your rate? Yeah, rate I, I sent you a text. I was like, he was killing it because you just, I, we talked about this before. Biden has this like, come on shucks kind of attitude about things and it were i think it works well to like this adversarial relationship that i feel like the press is trying to establish when they're like are you going to run against trump he's like i don't know if trump's running do you know and it's just this like he probably has a smarter answer to that but he's just going to be like come on like what are we actually doing here and i think it works enough to where they probably won't ask him that again because it's kind of a ridiculous question three months into well, and the administration. I I think one of the things that's tough is that Trump set such a low bar. Yeah. Right. And I mean, on the one hand, I want to be able to even just say, well, screw you press. He's treating you a hundred times better. You yeah. know, the, the, the whole argument about, well, it took him forever. Well, here's a question is a truthful, honest, straight conference. I mean, press conference straight that, you know, which we're buying a straight with you. Is that better than Trump making himself more available but lying all the time? I mean, that's, you know, they, they, they talk about how accessible the Trump White House was. They right. talk about how he would always stop in a helicopter and how he had more, you know, he, he had already had more press conferences. But if he's lying, if he's yeah. misleading, and if he's being outright abusive to the press... What, what what I mean? What is what is the criteria? I got so angry. You, uh, Maggie Haberman, oh, one of the conference before, man. she went ahead and she talked about how he's not good in this format. And I miss, and this is what I think is kind of a problem with cable news. <clears throat> Stuff that's normal functions, like a press conference and everything else, 
they treat it like the Super Bowl, yeah. where they have a pregame show, a postgame show. NBC trots in Brian Williams all of a sudden to anchor it because evidently no one else can anchor a press conference with the president. Look, I, I, I like Brian Williams, but I just always wonder, like, why do they, you know, can he is he really going to do a much better job to say Eamon Moyadine or someone else? I think yeah. Eamon could do a kick-ass job. But I think that the press wants that spectacle so much, mm-hmm. right? And they're not going to get it. And especially because with Trump, you know, the whole question about are you going to run again or not run again, that should have never been asked strictly because, and then they pointed to, well, Trump had already said something. Don't use Trump as a standard bearer. It is not common for presidents in their first 100 days to set up a a a, a, a re-election campaign and even deal with the re-election question. Yeah. It's just so Trump did it on the second day. Right. Yeah. Look, I, I want to talk about two things that you kind of talked about. Um, the first thing is, that's what I mean about that question should have never been answered as Biden has enough of that old folksy, what are we doing here to kind of fight that, right? And I love how he answered that question. He's like, are you going to run against Trump? It's like, do you know Trump's running? Like, what are you even asking? Do you want me to predict a Republican candidate three and a half years out? It's ridiculous. And I do agree that, look, I think the press and the, and the secretary office, the press secretary office and the administration should have some sort of tension in the sense that the press is there to do the job and the administration has to be held accountable. I also think that the press is so obsessed with making a story that we live in this 24-hour news cycle now. Trump quite literally made it a 24-hour news cycle where he was up at 3 a.m. tweeting threats to Iran, right? And, and we saw Jen Psaki say, this president will not make news at 4 a.m., I promise you. Like, granted, outside of an emergency situation, right? So it's like, the press wants that so much. I didn't, I gave them the benefit of the doubt for like this whole time, but I clearly saw it on this day. It was like, they were looking for just a drama and a headline and a byline in the, in the article to get clicks. And that's what I felt. I also want to push back on the fact that he waited so long. Like he inherited an absolute mess in COVID, an absolute mess with the economy, an absolute mess with everything. You want him to hold a press conference in the first week. He's just still figuring out what the game plan is. Let him look like they won't. They're criticizing for not having a press conference. They refuse to make Garland the AG and they make him wait, right? They're just like booting this down the road and they're asking for a press conference. Let us get a team in and let us go. I Let him go. I also will say, what is Jen Psaki there for? Like we saw all of, we saw, um, who's the, Sean Spicer. And we saw the, Who's it? Huckabee. And then we saw Kaylee sit up there and lie all day long. Look, the press secretary is the president's office. When you ask a question to Jen Psaki, she's answering on behalf of the president. I don't want Joe Biden to sit there and ask questions all day. I want him to go to work, pass COVID relief, pass voter rights laws, and do all that stuff. There's a press secretary for a reason, and she has a daily briefing. Trump did not have a daily briefing for a long time. So what are we actually doing here? There's there's some sort of bias. I'm not trying to say they give Biden a break, but I'm also just trying to say like, look, there's a press secretary who has a daily briefing every single day. Ask your question and get it over with. Well, I think Dave Weigel kind of hit it on the head where he was talking about, the, you know, he writes for Washington Post and he was talking about how he doubts that people who 
just got their COVID relief checks or their vaccines are really up, all that upset that Biden didn't have a press conference yet, yeah, right? That and, and it's but but here's the thing, and it's it's weird, and I say this as a person who works with the press on a regular basis. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with an adversarial press, right? But an adversarial press should be part of the relationship, but it shouldn't necessarily be a standard. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be if I came out today and said something uncontroversial, you shouldn't automatically start digging for controversy where there's no controversy. There, believe it, there is enough bullshit out there yeah. that needs that extra digging and everything else. But it seems like oftentimes it's almost like radicals. I don't mind radicals, but I hate people who are radical for the sake of being mm-hmm. radical, right? Yeah. Meaning if this could be done this way unradically and it could be done this way radically, I'm not going to automatically just go to radical because that's, you know, yeah. an adversarial press is the same way. It's like, I don't, I, I definitely don't want there not to be an adversarial press, but what is the purpose of an adversarial press is not to be adversarial is to get to the truth. Right. Right. And when you're constantly treating every response to a question as if it's a lie or if it's misleading or if there's some type of tension, I mean, down to, okay, not only does he say I'm running for president, but then the next question is, will Kamala Harris be on your ticket? Are you kidding me? Just creating drama. Yeah. I, I, they're they're trying. And, and again, I don't want to, and I don't want to be the, that Republican, oh, screw the press. I think we have a lot of patience, but look, you and I are both Bears fans. And as I've said before, with sports fans, even when our team is playing well, we're second guessing everything they're doing. For sure. And I'm sorry, press, you guys did an okay job during the Trump administration. We love it. It is more satisfying, satisfying watching you bust, um, you know, um, Kaylee McInerney's chops, you know, uh, than it is watching you bust uh, Jen Psaki's uh, chops. But I understand that you have a job to do. But I also tell you though, Jen Psaki does a good job of giving it back. Yeah, <laughs> you sure. know. I, I, but she's but but and part of the reason why she's so effective is she doesn't have a daily diatribe mm-hmm. against the press, which is what the what the Trump administration had. For sure, she literally will sit there, and when you step to her the wrong way, she will respond in kind. But she ain't out there just you know spewing invective, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, she's gonna give out what she gets, basically. Um... I totally agree with everything you were saying. There has to be some tension between the reporters and the administration because they want the truth and the administration is going to try to spin things for sure. But like you said, it's like they made the lack of controversy a controversy. They said, hey, we're not getting leaks. Maggie Haberman doesn't have access, right? The press secretary isn't attacking us. The Biden administration isn't doing crazy things. There's no controversy here. So let's make the fact that he hasn't spoken to us. By the way, he had he had a town hall. He's had speeches and he's spoken to the American people. But they're going to make the fact that it hasn't ever press conference a controversy. That's I think is just is being adversarial to for the sake of being adversarial. And that's it. Right. Now, uh, this kind of brings us to another subject. And it voting rights did come up during during the press conference. Um but let's look to Georgia. Georgia's just enacted some laws. And, um, you know, I think it was pretty, I think, 
I think the imagery that came out of Georgia between the, um, I think her name was Park Cannon, Representative Park Cannon, being dragged away in handcuffs, uh, the, the, the imagery of a black woman who is an elected official being treated just like some random, you know, uh, Occupy Wall Street, you know, uh, yeah. you know, just, you know, protester. And then, you know, even in the room, all white men for the signing, and it took uh, place under a portrait of a slave plantation. Uh, dude, that's how often- That's still like a tourist place now, yeah. Right. Uh, what, what, what were your, what's your reaction to what went down in Georgia? I think it's the game plan for the rest of the country. You saw that I think a majority of states have tried to pass laws like these. And a lot, I think Arizona will eventually, and I think Michigan's aiming for it too. Um, what I am interested in finding out is how, all right, I don't want to speculate, but from all signs that Abrams wants that governor seat, and it was rightfully hers that it was stolen from her, right? I wonder if the country is looking at Georgia saying, you were blue in the election. We asked you to show up for the runoffs, you did. And I wonder if Georgia just takes this so personal that they're like, okay, we're going to make sure Abrams is the governor in two years and she's going to roll all of this stuff back. So I wonder if this will just backfire on the Republicans in the sense that um, it doesn't really work for you because the I mean, the Georgia's going to come out and vote regardless, and then um, you're going to lose. You're going to lose some seats because they show up in in full force. Do you ever know that? You ever feel like <clears throat> sometimes the harder you push people, the more and more they push back, right? And so, I wonder if they left this alone. And in 2022, it's like, all right, Georgia was like Georgia did its job. Maybe some people stayed home in 2022, and maybe you picked up seats that you weren't supposed to pick up. And I wonder now that they take it so personal that you end up um, making them even want to vote more. So I, I, I hope that this is um, a backfires really, really bad against the Republicans. Yeah. And I mean, I can't help but get beyond. And I, I, I know it sounds so easy to to just make to make up uh, or, or to accuse people of racism, but I cannot get beyond the white supremacy of it all. Yeah, for sure. I cannot get over the fact that they're blatantly doing something that they know is going to uh, disadvantage or even go so far as to disenfranchise voters of color. Um, and they think they're going to get away with it. I, I mean, going back to Park Cannon being dragged away, I mean, somebody somebody needs to get fired for that. Yeah. Someone, some, someone and Kemp needs to be held account. He did. How the hell? How the hell do you sign a a a bill like that under the portrait or, or a painting of a plantation, a slave plantation? Yeah, but and, it was and, on purpose. And, and I don't think never, it was. You, you should never be welcome in civil uh, society after something like that. That was the point, though. The the cruelty, I think, is the point. I wholeheartedly believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean it. It's frustrating. It, it's 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 it's. Yeah, uh, it, it, it and and you know, I just really, I just have a lot of anger about it. You know, the the whole thing about not being able to deliver water, right? Um, and and you know that Kemp got really offended when Biden likened it to Jim Crow. Uh, Biden called the Jim, Jim Jim Eagle. Oh no, James Eagle is what what he called it. I'm not sure if that was an upgrade or a downgrade. I, I no, I, he I didn't know what, call it that. He said. 
this makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle, which he was trying to say. Right. This or makes James Jim Crow. Say, was it Jim Eagle or James Eagle? Was it Jim Eagle? I thought or he James said Jim Eagle? Eagle, but I could uh, I could be wrong. You know, he's got to change the name of both ways, but uh, I, it, it, it's it's frustrating. It's it's one of those things where you just you hate to see it because you know at the end of the day it's going to really harm people. And it also puts greater importance on passing the Voting Rights Act in in Congress. Yeah, um, I do think at some point in time, someone's gonna have to sit down with Joe Manchin and and Cinema and say, "Look, you you're gonna own what the Republicans did if you don't do something about this." For sure. You know, uh, it's it's it, you know Joe Manchin, whose wife just got a very great appointment, um, but it, it, it's I have no words. I literally have no words. It's 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 frustrating. I will say that we have to meet this urgency that they the Republicans have. We have to meet that urgency with our own urgency. So now that COVID relief has passed, and I hope that the country's taking a turn for the better, and now that we're kind of full swing into immigration, I, I hope that we can take a pivot now, focus on voter rights act before the 2022 midterms and try to get something passed. Right. Speaking of voters' rights. Dominion had had enough, and they went ahead and they sued Fox News. Uh, Dominion filed a lawsuit for $1.6 billion. Uh, what's funny is, you know, I, I, aren't people suing OAN and, and Newsmax as well? Or they have they, have they, these suits, Discovery is going to be amazing. By the way, I'm not a lawyer, but Discovery is a term I've learned, and I've learned what it means. So I will talk about Discovery all the time as if I'm a legal insider. Um, but discovery should be amazing. What, what are your expectations on this lawsuit? We talked about it when it first started happening. I, I just wonder if this is the future of stopping the Tucker Carlson lies and the Sean Hannity lies, right? I know Sean Hannity is running scared because he ran with that whole Dominion thing. Um, I don't remember Tucker running with it as much, but um, I don't know if you saw Fox News' response. Did you see this? No. They basically said, we stand by everything that we said. And I wonder if that hurts them in court because they definitely ran the Dominion stuff. And so Dominion is saying they're like, cool, you stand by it, cool. We're going to win this and and people are gonna, ro- heads are going to roll. So I'm, I want Dominion to sue as many people and as many companies as they possibly can. Well, yeah, I hear they're going to, you know, a lot of people are waiting for their, their lawsuit against Trump. Yeah. The funny thing is they mainly sue Trump for like $50 million because they're not going to sue him for something he doesn't have. So, so enough, it's yeah. really funny of like, well, we, we've assessed his assets and the best we can do is do, like, of course, you and I would be honored to have $50 million. For sure. But it, 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 it would be really funny if at the end of the day, he, he they, they, they sue him for less than a couple of billion just because he doesn't have it. Yeah. Right? Uh, but what it what it speaks to though is the i like the fact that people are fighting back mm-hmm. uh and it also speaks to kind of the right wing and there's one thing about being a conservative but it seems like conservatism has been accompanied by a whole bunch of just dishonesty mm-hmm. if you say okay i believe i'm pro choice and i believe our taxes should be really low and we should shut the borders. Do that, but do it without lying. Do it without making up crap, right? It, and you know, um, one of the people who's been in a, at least not necessarily the news, but in a lot of social media feeds, is is Meghan McCain. And I've thought about this recently. 
is if I were a conservative, I would be really pissed up by the people that the media allows to speak on behalf of conservative conservatism. Right. I think conservatism would be better off. And you and I both, they've got to be there, right? They've, they've got to be these policy wonks who don't have hate in their heart, who are intellectually honest, who just, you know, embrace conservative values. Where are those people, right? But it seems that too often when it's conservatives, whether it's Fox News telling complete lies or whatever, it seems that you're just very dishonest. I want an honest conservative. What, what, what do you think? Well, you've been in politics longer than me. Do, do those really, maybe somebody like John, maybe John, they died with John McCain, ironically. Um, I don't know, John McCain seemed like a, just, he was all about honesty and, and, and being a conservative. But I think that's just dead. I just think that's dead because Trump made it. This is the landscape that Trump made is scorched earth. So they're going to do whatever they can to push their narrative. Uh, we saw Fox News defend Tucker Carlson and say, this is legally in courtroom say, you can't say what, you can't say what Tucker, you can't believe what Tucker says because it's not true. It's just a character. They said that. We saw the Kraken, right? Trump's lawyer this week said, oh no, I, I, you, no reasonable person would believe anything that I just said. They know this, they're not stupid people. This is what I keep trying to tell people. Sean Hannity is not stupid. He, when he's going to sleep at night, he knows who Trump is and he knows that there was no fraud. But because their pockets are lined with pushing these lies, they're going to continue to do that. And I hope these lawsuits kind of curve that a little bit. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I'm waiting for the, I actually want them to go opposite. I want them to sue Trump for like $5 billion and then <laughs> try to take everything that he owns. Well, here's the thing, though. I, I was pushed back and say it didn't start with Trump. Um, and this goes back to some of the problems that some people, myself included, although I'm more conflicted, have with people like the Lincoln Project. They're the ones who built this. Yeah. The Southern strategy, which what the Republicans have used since Nixon, and it's built a lot on uh, creating a lot of racial resentment and a lot of dishonesty. And um, I think that the, the Lincoln Project and the Never Trumpers Republicans, they were playing with fire all along. Mm -hmm. They were playing with fire and they got burnt. And now once they got burnt, they're like, whoa, 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 we don't want to be part of this. But this is because those people played with fire. And I, I want to go ahead and, and, and maybe have some level of forgiveness or appreciation of where they are today. But the reality is, think about it. I love Michael Steele on MSNBC. But if he wasn't acting like a freaking Uncle Tom for all those years when he was heading the Republican Party and literally, you know, did you ever see the video when Obama mocked him at the at the uh, yeah. White House Correspondents Dinner? Look, Michael, you're my boy, but you were, you know, sucking and diving, you know, when you were, you know, were, were, part, of, were part of the Republican Party. Colin Powell was saying the party of Lincoln has not always been Lincoln. When you were the head of the Republican Party, you were you you made Tim Scott look like he was some type of black radical. I mean, you, so I don't. I mean, I'm still conflicted because, dude, I'd love to have once we start having guests. I'd love to have like a Michael Steele. I'd love to have a beer with a Michael Steele. I really like who he is today, but I have a hard time reconciling that with who he was when Barack Obama was the president of the United States. Yeah, just to be clear, I don't think it started with Trump. 
I think Trump took it to the point where that's their political stance now is lies and fear mongering and, and racial baiting. I think Trump took it to the point where you can't be like um, the Mitt Romneys who are poking at it and the George Bushes who are crossing the line but coming back over to the line. Trump just blew the line up and then went so far that you, in order to win elections now, you have to be Trump. When we're seeing that some of these more conservative, moderate Republicans are saying, I don't know where I kind of fit in this Trump MAGA base. You know what I mean? So not that I think Trump started it, but he took it to the point where now you have to either go there or you're not going to win your race if you're a conservative. So I do agree with you. I think there's people who are just conservative who just want to tell the truth. And we're seeing some pushback of that, like from Adam Kinzinger and people like that. But I just wonder if that's the base now. If the base is so far gone that you can't you can't get those people back. Yeah, but like one of the people who got a lot of credit for the way he stood up to Trump as he was leaving the Republican Party was Tennessee Senator Bob Corker. Bob Corker. When he was running for Senate against Harold Ford Jr., he put out ads that were were targeting the the the, the sexual um the sex you know black men and the way that they're almost sexual predators and the way white women want them. I'll send you these commercials. Yeah. So this Bob Coker dude, who we think is just some great beacon of 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 um, truth and 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 integrity, watch and look and study the campaign that he ran against Harold Ford Jr. And when you watch that, it's really hard to sit there and watch him think he's just some type of beacon of virtue during the Trump administration, when you look at the tactics he had to use to get elected to the Senate. I mean, that's that's just where I am on this. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I don't think not that necessarily these people are good. I think they tried to stand up to Trump and they, and they fell beneath, beneath the wreckage of Trump's train. Um, but that's what I mean. Like now it's like they're, you're either with him or you're against him. And even we're seeing people like Susan Collins who try to toe that line and are against him sometimes and, and for him other times, I, I think they're going to, the base is going to make people choose. And we're going to see that in the 2022 midterms as, is, are you a Trumpster or you're not a Trumpster? And we're not going to vote for you if you aren't. So um, I, I guess what I mean is the reckoning is here as, as Batman would say, the reckoning is here now and, and you're going to have to pick a side. And so I think the Republican party is in trouble because of, to bring it back because of these lies, because of the Fox News, because of the Hannity's and the Tucker Carlson's. I think the base is in trouble and the party's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we're running long mm-hmm. and I think it's probably time to, to, to wrap. So uh, for now, this is John signing off. This is Spotty signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you.